want to ask a question before we begin today. How are you preparing for Christmas? Or even taking a step back, how are you preparing for Advent? Or have you prepared for Advent? You know, I love preparing for this time of year. I'm a huge Christmas tree fan, so this is awesome. And uh, when I was a kid, we would always go and cut uh, a tree uh, from our property, and we would drag it, trim it up outside the house, and then shove it through the door frame and put it up. That smell would just go through the house of that uh, fir tree or whatever it was. And uh, we, would, we would decorate with different colored lights. We had in the 70s tinsel. And uh, a lot of times we couldn't get that tinsel to the top of the tree, so we'd use a blow dryer and we'd shoot it up there. And I have very vivid, vivid uh, memories of that. Unfortunately, we can't have a live tree. Uh, Kim is allergic to trees. It was almost a deal breaker in our relationship, but... One of the things that I like doing, and, and, and I find it a very personal preparation, and I've been doing it ever since I was a kid, and I still do it today, is that after the tree is decorated and I know no one's around, I, I lay underneath of it, and I just look up into the tree at the lights, and I've been doing that for a long time. And so there are so many things that we do to prepare for this time of year, and maybe you're already doing that. Uh, maybe... The past couple days, you were busy uh, doing those things. Family traditions, they're, they're very significant. Uh, familiar landmarks along the journey of life. And they connect us to the past, and they bring back also important memories and help us not only to live in the here and the now, but to prepare for, ex- with expectation, God doing something greater in us. And so today we have the first Sunday of Advent. We join millions of Christians around the world and celebrate the incarnation of the Son of God. And during this season, we reflect on the advent also of the coming of Christ into the world. And like I said, advent, preparing for Christmas, it's steeped in preparation. And advent is not just about what happened. It is also about what is to come. Therefore, the advent season should do two things. Help us to remember the first coming of Jesus, but also anticipate his second coming. And like all good traditions, it pulls us out of the here and now and remind us of what this time of year is all about. And so this year we have a hymn that's leading the way of the music as we take the steps toward Christmas. I don't know about you, but uh, I love this hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We just, we just sang it. It's so beautiful. And singing is a way that elevates, uh, I guess, the release of stress in my life. And where would we be without music? And I love the fact that we are, we are going together in the rhythm of this hymn, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. It's our preparation hymn. It was written in 1744 by Charles Wesley, and he wrote it for a hymn book of the Nativity. And that hymn book was compiled by his brother John. And many of you are are possibly familiar with many of the hymns in that hymn book, and you didn't even know it. 
And almost every United Methodist sings this hymn on the first Sunday of Advent. And it's written for a time and a season. And throughout each Advent uh, Sunday, we're going to use this hymn as a framework to remember, but also to anticipate. And it really is. This hymn is a prayer. It's a groaning prayer of come, God, come. And as Methodists, we sing about our faith, but we also sing about what we believe as well. And it's so powerful. And you can see wonderful doctrinal truths about God found in our hymns. Hopefully you can see the dual purpose of this hymn as it, as it opens up to you over the coming weeks. And see that dual framework of the Christmas season to remember, but also anticipate the coming of Christ. There's beauty and power in remembering, but there's also beauty and power in anticipating, isn't there? Think about the anticipation and the power of that in the life of maybe when we were young children. The anticipation had a lot of power over us. It made us do wild and freaky things before Christmas. I can't uh, I can't even tell you how many times over the last few days I've been saying, come Lord Jesus, have your way. Come Lord Jesus, do a new thing in the midst of the strife and the struggle. One of the texts in the New Testament talks about the advent of Jesus Christ. And it's found not in the Gospels, but it's found in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And it's, this is just dynamite. And it's all about Christmas. And Paul gives some really specific things here for us to wrap our brains around. It says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive adoption to sonship, because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. In these verses, in the first two verses, the Apostle Paul provides a remarkable summary of the Christian faith, including the importance of the advent of Jesus Christ. You see... You see in this that God had a plan. I know sometimes it doesn't seem like God has a plan, does it? However, Paul takes all of the evidence and knows God was up to something and looks back upon the Gospels and all that he experienced as well and knew that God was up to something and that the time was right. The beginning phrase of verse 4 is a very important statement. It says, when the set time had fully come. It's identifying the advent of Jesus was orchestrated, it was planned, it was implemented by God's timing. In other words, everything about Jesus' coming was controlled by the will of God. And think about that just for a moment. Everything about Jesus' coming was controlled by the will of God. And some people take the fullness of time to refer to the way in which the culture was ripe and ready, where the world was well-suited for the arrival of, of Jesus Christ and the spread of Christianity. 
This set time, the Roman Empire was at peace for over 200 years. There was a common language. Travel was easy. Uh, There were roads and bridges that were manufactured. Cities were growing rapidly. And all of this infrastructure made it possible for God to do this incredible revelation of bringing his only son into the world. And so it was ripe for his coming. Think about the Christmas story for just a second. God saw a census coming. God saw easy travel. God saw a beloved godly virgin named Mary engaged to a righteous man named Joseph. God preparing everything in order for salvation to be initiated into the world through Jesus Christ by faith. You see the preparations, each detail carefully and precisely done in a way for the world to receive Jesus Christ. And God's plan in this, because of this, is also God's plan for you. Ponder for a moment what God has prepared in order for you to be adopted that we saw in that Galatian scripture. Little by little, activity in the background, God's plan is for us to all be adopted together as children of God. We just sang about that. This is the good news about the gospel. The one who adopts sets the time for the son and daughter to be adopted, for that to take place, and it has everything to do with the coming of Jesus Christ. God knew what he was doing. He knew exactly where to put Jesus. He knew exactly what Jesus would face, how everything would end. He knew the crucifixion of his son, that would save the world and the resurrection in the crucifixion and resurrection from sin and death. So Advent is a reminder that God is really working his plan. And we remember that. And it's important for these two reasons. First, we can look forward to the second coming of Jesus with a calm assurance, especially as crisis and struggle and tribulation come, and it seems like the world has lost its way. We as Christians have calm assurance given unto us because of that. We can also rest knowing that God is still working out his plan, and the fullness of time comes again. When that takes place, Jesus will return. I know uh, things feel like they're a lot really chaotic right now. And I was thinking about that as I was preaching right after Salem and then jumping into the car and then just really thinking about the past few days. And I felt that chaos at times. There's a lot of crisis. Like Tuesday, last Tuesday, I was on the phone with a man and I was talking to him, uh, talking to him and trying to talk him out of suicide. And getting him help. And thanks be to God he didn't complete that. And then I was on the phone the other night with a, a young man that for three months he was sober. And then he went on a three-day binge drinking. And then yesterday at Faith and Friends on Tap, I found out some very good family uh, friends of ours. Their 23-year-old daughter has Hodgkin's lymphoma. And then yesterday afternoon, I was on the phone <laughs> with a widow, her name was Anne, and her husband, who's a Vietnam veteran, dropped over dead last Wednesday, right before Thanksgiving, in their lake cabin. Health issues, relationship mess, 
death in a family, loss of job, these painful realities really sometimes make us wonder, God, what's going on? While you may never full, nolly, full, nolly, <laughs> know fully why, you need to re- be reminded today, and I want to say it to you, and it brings me peace and calm assurance to know that God is in control, and we have all the evidence here, and we should see it just like Paul saw it. God is compassionately working out his plan, compassionately working out his plan, and he is in control in the plans that he has for you. He did it before, and he'll do it again. And eventually, the fullness of God's plan will be clear in your life. And not only does God have a plan, but within that plan, there's also divine intervention. Christmas is a celebration of the arrival of Jesus in the flesh, Uh, But it's even more. The birth of Jesus shows that there was supernatural innovation, intervention. (laughs) Yeah, that's innovative too. (laughs) The incarnation of Jesus was the means by which God would make redemption possible. And it was divine intervention. Galatians 4.4 says, God sent forth his son. And it's a summary, a succinct summary of Paul's understanding of the gospel. It means that spiritual intervention for people who could not save themselves or at least were making attempt after attempt after attempt to try to save themselves and make themselves better. But we know that that can't take place. We need a Savior in our lives. And I'm a man in need of a Savior. I don't know about you, but there's times when I raise my hands up to heaven and I'm like, okay, all right, God, God help me. God give me wisdom. Uh, God make a way. God heal. God take this. God, I need you. And at the very bare bones of those, of that pleading is God intervene. And he has. And he will continue. The message of the gospel is also a simple message that God sent Jesus to intervene, intervene for the helpless in the midst of situations and struggle. When our heart gets heavy, God lifts that up by his spirit. God intervened in a very personal way. He sent his son so that the death of Jesus could satisfy the demands of God's holiness in light of our sinfulness. And it takes that oppression a paw off of us because it's been placed on him. God sent his son is, just, is more than just a fact. It is the basis of all of our hope. Our hope. Intervention for you and for me. It means God hears our groanings. Our groanings from maybe the harm and rescues us from that harm and lifts, lifts, lifts us up out of it. This the intervention is what the old uh, prophets, uh, they longed for. They looked for the coming of the Messiah that would help them, that would lead them, that would save them. And it went beyond their wildest dreams of what God did in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And his supernatural intervention comes to us corporately and personally, my friends. And hear that in the now. In whatever is before you or in you right now. 
the central beauty of what we celebrate this time of year is the fact that Jesus entered into our broken world as a helpless infant. And his life and teaching were sometimes paradoxical, you know. The way he came as a poor, poor boy born in a place of mean estate. And then the way he taught. The humble are exalted. The exalted are humble. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. It's so opposite of the world, isn't it? It's amazing when you see God's plan of intervention. It is so opposite the world. Paul not only says that God sent his son, but there are specific details that are uh, powerful about his intervention that we read earlier. Paul says the son was born of a woman. Why is that Why is that important? And he also says born under law. These are both tied to his humanity. Born of a woman is simply a way for the Bible to say that Jesus was born as a human being. And that Paul establishes Jesus' humanity along with his deity. Without sacrificing his deity, Jesus became human with all the limitations associated. He was tempted, tested, tired, hungry, sad, sick at times. He experienced the full cup of what we experience together. Why? Because God shows that he can identify with us as humans. It's cool when you share with someone in your weakness and find out that they've had the same difficulty. I don't know if you've experienced that personally. I know I have. Several years ago after worship, I had a young lady come up to me and she shared her struggle with anorexia. We prayed. Immediately, God intervened. Supernatural intervention. 30 feet right over as I looked over her shoulder when I finished praying, I saw another young girl that I knew struggled with the same exact thing. And they were almost the same exact age. I asked this young lady if I could introduce her to someone. And in that introduction, it just became natural. They, they sat down in the pew, and I just stood back from a distance, and I watched them talk. And then I saw tears. And then I saw hugs. I saw sympathy. I saw God intervention at work. You see, the writer of Hebrews uses as Jesus' understanding of our condition as a motivation to draw us to the one who identifies with us. If Jesus was human, and if he was, a, he was tempted, then we can boldly approach him for help when we need it in our struggles. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 substantiates this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't this powerful as it relates to his identity in us? And it also says that Jesus was born under law. And what does this mean? Is that Jesus lived under the requirements of the Old Testament when he came into this world. 
He was circumcised on the eighth day. He read the Torah. He prayed with his heavenly father. He attended the synagogue. He faithfully did and fulfilled the demands of the law. He obeyed perfectly while living under the same constraints and obligation as every human being had ever faced. And he lived under the same rules every other human being experienced, yet he never sinned, not once. He fully obeyed. So what do you see when you see this baby in a manger? What do you see when you see your preparations for this time of year? Do you see just another baby? Or do you see the very Son of God? Advent really is, is, is all about preparing to see and see things differently, especially in the now right here. The first coming of Jesus connects us to him in a way that is very unique and powerful. He understands the brokenness of the world, yet he fully obeyed his father. And he knows what it means to be mistreated. He knows what it means to experience hurt and pain. And he also shows us a model for how to live our lives in these times. Jesus was born of a woman and born under law so that we may never have to wonder if he does indeed understand. What's more, it also means that we can cry out to him when we need help. And it's a reminder there's a day when our connection with Jesus will be even more personal and even more intimate in the eternal. The next thing this short passage closes with is another glorious reason why God has done all of this, and it's for a redemptive purpose. Verse 5 gives us the purpose behind what Paul has described in verse 4, the purpose behind the first and second coming of Jesus Christ. And it says this, to redeem those who are under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons and daughters. So to redeem implies that they were bought out of something. It definitely has the negative background association of slavery. The picture is that of a person who is on the auction block of slavery, and someone steps forward and purchases that person's freedom. To redeem means to purchase freedom. And in this case, Paul's description, the slavery is not physical, it is a spiritual one. Human beings were enslaved in sin until Jesus redeemed us uh, from the curse of the law by by becoming the curse for us. And you can see that in Galatians chapter 3. But it doesn't stop there. The redemption was not merely to rescue us from slavery. It was to make us sons and daughters of God as well, heirs to that. To adopt means the same thing in Paul's day as it does in our day. In adoption, you make someone family who would not have been family by any other means. Adoption just does not welcome you into a home. It welcomes you into family. You are my child. And you see the progressive nature of how Paul writes this, my friends? And it's powerful. This is what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. This is what we celebrate during this time of year. In Christ, he's made us his children. And that's why Paul ends this beautiful paragraph by talking about the spirit and using this family language. Did you catch it? He says, and because you're sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son 
into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is who we are together. This is who you are. Your identity has changed. You know, I think the world tries to keep us Christians chained as slaves to various things. And I think you can think about all the specifics of that right now. But in Christ, we're not that at all. We are sons and daughters together. Heirs of him. Everything about you and everything about your future has changed in that. How's your preparations going? Are you prepared to receive all of this inheritance, be heirs of this. It was this baby that brought you into the family of God. This baby that brought the greatest transformation in the history of the eternal. And as you remember, you should anticipate the one day, the same Jesus who is going to return so that we can live and be in him together forever. I want to read to you the, the first verse of this powerful song, Come Thou Along, Expected Jesus. And I want you to think about your preparation and what's behind the decor. Come thou long, expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From fears and sins, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. We wait until that coming day together when we celebrate not only the advent of him, but him born anew in us. And we start that journey today together in Advent. Let us pray. God, we thank you for these promises that Paul has showed us about Christmas and the Advent. We pray that as we continue to uh, wait and hope and, and sometimes even groan, we know that you're intervening in so many ways that we can't even possibly imagine and we thank you for that intervention. It's, it's divine, it's spiritual, it's supernatural. And God, may that intervention come upon us this day and give us new ways to prepare our lives and our hearts, our minds, our homes, our families, ourselves. God, we thank you for redeeming us and making us sons and daughters and heirs to the eternal. We thank you for this journey, blessed, and may we, as your beloved sons and daughters, journey into it with Advent expectation of what you're going to do to transform us and the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.